Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Genesis. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer to him. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made the lord of all Egypt come down to me. Do not delay you shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my, my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt, and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. these words from Luke chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expect to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The words that were just read out of Luke chapter 6 are from what we call the Sermon on the Plain. And many of those words are found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 that we call the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people have asked through the years, why does Luke call it the Sermon on the, on the Plain? And why does Matthew call it the Sermon on the Mount? And my answer has always been that probably Jesus preached the Matthew Sermon on the Mount sermon at the 940 service. And then he preached the Sermon on the Plain at the 11 o'clock Emerge service. So I'm just certain that he had different settings where he was giving this same material. You know, I read the story about a church administrative assistant, and she described how she would answer the phone when it rang in the church office. She would say, Jesus loves you, Sharon speaking, how may I help you? And one day, there was a lot going on in the church office. Church staff was standing around wanting things of her and church members were coming in and there were lots of commotion and confusion happening in the church office and suddenly the phone rang and the administrative assistant reached over and she picked up the phone and she said, Sharon loves you, Jesus speaking, how may I help you? She said there was a long pause at the end of the phone, at the end of the call, and finally the caller said, somehow I thought your voice would sound different. (laughs) Jesus just, uh, just doesn't sound like a female, does he? Well, you know, I've been thinking about two things about this text this week, and and hold on to that story about, about Sharon loves you, Jesus speaking, how may I help you? We'll come back to that in just a minute. But the first thing I've been wondering about this text that we just read from Luke this week is how would it make a difference in our lives if these words were the only words that we have from Jesus? Throw out everything else you know that Jesus ever said. These are the only only words we have. And the only words that we have from Jesus that we know of are love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, hate me. We're going to pray for those who would do us harm, who would mistreat us. We're going to bless those people who would curse us. These are the only words that we have from Jesus. Be merciful. Don't judge or condemn. Forgive and give generously. Forget everything else you know about Jesus. This is it. These are the only words that we have. So that's the first thing I've been thinking about this week. What would it be like if these were the only words we had? But the second thing I've been thinking about is if we did all of these things that Jesus invited us to do, how would it be 
that maybe people might start hearing Jesus' voice in ours. Maybe people would hear us saying, Sharon loves you. Jesus speaking. How may I help you? What difference would it make for us? What difference would it make for other people if they heard us speaking and really heard the voice of Jesus speaking and acting through us? Now, you know, one of the laws that's at work in Jesus' day is called the law of Lex Talionis. Lex Talionis. It's the law of non-retaliation. We can find some hints of it in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. The law limit of Lex Talionis limits vengeance and retaliation in a tit-for-tat way. So if I knock out one of your teeth, you can't knock out two of mine. If I knock out one of your eyes, you can't take both of mine. If I cut off one of your ears, you can't cut off both of my ears. Or even worse, as may have happened in the ancient world, take my life. So the law of Lex Talionis is seeking to limit retribution, vengeance, revenge, retaliation, and believe it or not, offer some mercy, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, by Jesus' day, that type of retaliation had been limited to substituting monetary compensation if you knocked out somebody's eye or tooth or cut off their ear or whatever. There was a monetary retribution that was paid instead. But Jesus in this text, and in the similar text that we find in Matthew's gospel called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is seeking here to introduce a non-retaliation spirit. Now, maybe you've seen that bumper sticker before, I don't get mad, I just get even. You've got to take that bumper sticker off your car. You see, now, according to Jesus, if someone offers us the ultimate insult in the ancient world of slapping us on the right cheek with the back of the hand, we turn the other cheek. If someone sues for your tunic, your inner garment, you're going to give them your cloak, your outer garment, the garment that kept you warm by day, the garment that may have served as your blanket by night in the ancient world. We're going to now give generously of what we have to everyone who asks and even to those folks who don't ask but intend to take it from us we're still going to give generously now if we do all of these things that Jesus invites us to do there's a promise that comes with this behavior the promise is that we will be called children of the most high according to Jesus if we embrace love if we do good if we seek to offer blessing and prayers for our enemies, if we seek to be merciful like God without judgment or condemnation, when we give generously to other people, we share in God's nature. We start to look like God when we relate to people with love and not revenge or retaliation or seeking to get even as 
Joseph did with his brothers in this text that we just read from Genesis 45. You remember the Joseph story. You remember how Joseph was the favored son. His daddy loved him the best. And he gave Joseph that beautiful coat. Remember, his brothers were so jealous of him that one day they were just fed up with all of his dreams and all of his visions and all of his bragging that they took him and threw him down in the pit, stripped him of that beautiful coat and eventually sold him to the Midianites who took him down to Egypt. And they took that coat and they killed an animal and they took the blood and they smeared it across that coat and they put, put it on the end of a stick and they poured it and held it out to Joseph's daddy, their father, and said, look what we found out in the wilderness. And of course, the daddy thought that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. But indeed, he'd been sold to the Midianites who took him and sold him to Potiphar, one of the officials in Pharaoh's uh, ruling dynasty there. And eventually, you know the story, Joseph, because he could interpret dreams, rises up to second in command to the Pharaoh. He's in charge of helping that world, that ancient world at that time, deal with the great famine. And the long and short of it is we get to Genesis 45, and Joseph is seeking to reveal himself to his brothers. And instead of seeking retaliation, seeking revenge, seeking a spirit of vengeance, he offers love. He offers forgiveness. He does everything that Jesus invites us to do in this text. Now, an important question you may be thinking about and we need to raise this morning. Does this mean, based on everything that Jesus has said, that we always are to turn the other cheek? Does it mean that we always give up our cloak and our tunics? Does it mean that we are always going to give to every need or every cause that comes our way? And the answer, I think, to that question is no. Because you see, Jesus is not laying down a law here. Jesus is laying down some illustration. Jesus is giving us some kingdom principles of how a person can choose to act when responsible love and not personal retaliation is the motive. Because you see, sometimes it is appropriate to resist. It's appropriate because of the law of responsible love. When your life or someone you love, when their life is endangered, when a situation comes our way, when there's obviously abuse or neglect or assault or disregard for the life of another person or for their welfare, then we choose to act. But if we act and if we resist, we do so not with the spirit of retaliation in mind, not so with the spirit of revenge in mind, but we do so with the spirit of responsible love, a love that becomes a choice and is not necessarily a feeling. Now you see, the reality is there are going to be times when it's going to be hard to put that responsible love that becomes a choice, it's going to be hard to put that love into action. We may not have in the moment what it takes to have that loving response. We're all human beings who fail and sin and don't always live up to what God invites us to do. 
But there are certainly occasions where we see that responsible love jumping out. How does a young man whose family is grieving his death because a police officer wrongly killed that individual, how does that young man or that young lady's family not want to repay evil for evil? And to flip it over, how does a police officer who justifiably shot a young man or a young lady and perhaps killed her, how does that police officer and his family bless those people who are judging his or her actions and not curse them in return? How does Anthony Ray Hinton, Anthony Ray Hinton is an African-American man, he wrote a New York Times bestseller in 2018 entitled, The Sun Does Shine, How I Found Life and Freedom on Death Row. How does Anthony Ray Hinton, a man who was working in a locked warehouse when a restaurant manager 15 miles away was robbed, shot, and killed, How does Anthony Ray Hinton handle being arrested at age 29 and exonerated two months shy of his 59th birthday? How does Anthony Ray Hinton survive and not seek vengeance and that spirit of retaliation after having lived for almost 30 years in a five-by-seven cell on death row isolated from the other prisoners, how does Anthony Ray Hinton not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil, as Jesus said in this text, with good, as he remembers the words of the white lieutenant, the police officer, who rode with him to the Birmingham County Jail that day when he was arrested? How does he wipe out these words from his mind? that the lieutenant said to him, you know, I don't care whether you did or didn't do it. In fact, I believe that you didn't do it. But it doesn't matter. If you didn't do it, one of your brothers did. And now you're going to take the rap. I can give you five reasons why they're going to convict you. Number one, you're black. Number two, a white man going to say you shot him. Number three, you're going to have a white district attorney. Number four, you're going to have a white judge. And number five, you're going to have an all-white jury. You know what that spell? Conviction. And it did. 30 years in a five-by-seven chair. How does Anthony Ray Hinton overcome good with evil and not return evil instead? How do we keep offering free medical care at a medical clinic down at branches twice a month on Tuesday evenings or tutor kids on Monday and Tuesday afternoon or keep feeding folks 
on a Tuesday evening meal, folks who maybe never help or offer to clean up the table, folks who get tutored or get medical care or food and they never say thank you. How do you keep doing that? How do we handle the person who kept us from the promotion? How do you handle the person who terminated our job? How do you deal with the person who did not admit you into the program you thought you wanted to study in college? How do you deal with the coach who cut you from the athletic team? How do you handle the person who misrepresented the truth about you? And how do you do and deal with all of these circumstances and follow Jesus' words in this text, do unto others as you would have them do to you? How do you do it? There's only one way. We do it based on love. And we understand that love is not always a fear. But love is a choice. It's a determination of the will to do all of these things. Turn the other cheek. Seek good for others who harm us. Bless and pray for those who curse us and wish us ill will. Love is a choice. It's not always a feeling. I don't remember what my mother did or said that made Mr. Holmquist so angry with her. But he was put out with my mother. And if you've ever met my mother, she's one of the sweetest ladies in the world. And frankly, as a child, I couldn't figure out what she might have done or said that would have made Mr. Holmquist so angry with her. But he quit speaking to her and would not even acknowledge her presence. One Sunday morning... We walked out of the house to go to church, and we lived across the road from my home church in Raleigh on Creedmoor Road. Our driveway was diagonally across the road from the church. It set up on a little bit of a hill, and there were about 10, 12 steps that went up to the top of the sanctuary. There was a full basement beneath it. And we went out the side door of our house. We would always typically walk to church. Occasionally we would drive if we wanted to try to make it to the K&W cafeteria in time to beat the Methodists or the Presbyterians. But otherwise we would walk. We went out that side door and I looked up standing on the front step of the church up on the hill there and there was Mr. Holmquist smoking a cigarette. We went out the side door, and I, I said, Mama, there's Mr. Holmquist. What are you going to do? She never broke stride, and she didn't answer me. We got up near Creedmoor Road, and one more time, second time, I said, Mama, what are you going to do? There, there's Mr. Holmquist. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? She didn't say a word. We crossed Creedmoor Road, and now we were almost in the church driveway, heading up the hill, and here's Mr. Holmquist, you know, almost within hearing distance. And one more time, I said, Mama, Mr. Holmquist, what are you going to say? And she whispered to me, 
I'm going to kill him with kindness. And then she looked up and she waved and she said, Good morning, Mr. Holmquist. How are you doing? You know what Mr. Holmquist did? I can still see him. He was standing just like this with that cigarette in his hand. He was following us coming across the road, coming up church driveway. And when my mother spoke to him, he did just like this. He turned in the other direction. You know, it's not easy to love people. Because sometimes we're not so lovable, are we? You husbands are not so lovable sometimes. And you wives might not be so lovable sometimes either. Children are not so lovable some days, and parents are not so lovable. Bosses and supervisors are not so lovable. And neither are employees and direct reports. And sometimes patients and clients and customers are not so lovable. And neither are doctors and attorneys and real estate agents and retailers. Sometimes athletic players are not so lovable, and believe it or not, coaches might not be lovable. And there are many a day when students are not lovable, and neither are teachers or professors. The fact is, we're all unlovable at certain times. And it's really hard to love. It's not easy to love. It's not easy to do what Jesus said, to do good, to bless, to pray for those who are our enemies. But wouldn't it be nice when we speak and when we act, if people could hear and see Jesus speaking and acting in us. Sharon loves you. Jesus speaking. How may I help you? Let's pray together. You know, my guess is this morning that there is an enemy in your life or someone that you regard as a foe. It might be a family member. Joseph easily could have regarded those brothers as enemies, as foes. After all, they threw him down into the pit and sold him into slavery. It might be someone at your work. It could be a neighbor. It could be someone that you do leisure or recreational activities. What would it mean if somehow, some way, they could hear you saying, Sharon loves you, Jesus speaking. Take just a moment of silent prayer to go through the relationships of your life and to figure out what is it that God needs to do in you to help you truly love and bless 
and pray for and to give generously to those who don't always seem to be on your side. Take a moment of silent prayer. God, we pray this morning for the grace and for the strength to do unto others as we would have them do to us. 